Deep Dive, a podcast of CGT Radio. We go beyond headlines with reporters from around the world. Search for Deep Dive on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen. Take a deep dive into the news every week. Hear our conversations. Discussion keeps the world turning. This is Roundtable. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Roundtable, coming to you from Beijing. I'm He Yang. Good to have you join us. The China International Consumer Products Expo is being held in Hainan Province right now. We take a look at the highlights from this year's expo and. Keep sending us your comments, thoughts, and questions to ezfmroundtable at foxmail.com. Your voice could be featured on the show in our heart-to-heart segment. Audio clips are preferred, but emails will do. We would love to have a heart-to-heart with you. For today's program, I'm joined by Li Yi in the studio and Josh Cotterell on the line. First on today's roundtable. The Third China International Consumer Products Expo, also known as the Hainan Expo, kicked off in Haikou, South China's Hainan Province, on April the 10th. More than 3,300 brands from over 60 countries and regions go on show at Asia Pacific's biggest consumer products expo. Li Yi, give me the 30-second Hainan Expo primer for those who are not perhaps familiar. Would you? So this Hainan Expo actually offers a platform for those global companies tra-、uh, trying to find opportunities in the Chinese market, and also a platform for those Chinese enterprises to go global. And、uh, if you look at last year's、uh, result from this Hainan Expo, the import and export value of goods between Hainan and RCEP, meaning Regional Comprehensive Economic Partnership member countries, reached over 17 billion yuan. That's a huge number. And I think that's is especially important given the situation that China is trying to boost its consumption area and also trying to promote consumption upgrade. And according to the Ministry of Commerce, China's consumer market is second only to the size of the one in the United States. And in 2022, China imported consumer goods worth nearly two trillion yuan, and that's about 70 percent. Increase compared to the year 2017. So I think for the overall economic development of China, and also for the tourism, and also the free trade、uh, zone of Hainan Island, I think this expo will play a major role. Yeah, what interests you at this big expo, Josh? Well, I think something that interests me the most is, in some way, it it signifies how important Hainan has become、um, as a free trade port and as an important part of China's. Strategy to further open up its economy to the world, right? And I guess that this expo is significant、um, because of that. And it, I, for me, it's just really interesting to see the rapid development of Hainan and Haikou as as this economic area, really. And it's really interesting to see where this will go. And also, it's interesting to compare it to the expos in the United Kingdom and、mm. the United States, for example, as well. I think that there are. Some key differences here with this one. First of all, the fact that it's in the Hainan Free Trade Port,、um, as I mentioned, but also I've I've found that this expo focused is more specifically on consumer products, things like cosmetics, food and beverage, household goods, 
Uh, whereas a lot of the expos that I've seen in my own country, for example, in the UK, we have one called the Spring Fair, which is held annually in Birmingham. Um, this is one of the largest free trade shows in the country. This focuses on a much wider variety of consumer products. Um, all the previous ones that are at the Hainan Expo, but also things like home decor, um, jewelry, uh, toys, uh, and more. Yeah. Um, uh, so this is what's interested me the most about this. Yeah, and that's what interests a lot of consumers because these are consumer-facing brands as well as products. So it's kind of easy for us to relate in that sense. And then for some of the other expos that happen in China, which are also huge, but um, it's more like maybe professional buyers come in and uh, and some of the products maybe as an average consumer, we're just not all that familiar with. So it's kind of interesting to look at all of this. And we've sent our very own Yushun to the expo in Haikou. He spoke with Dr. Zhou Mi, Senior Research Fellow with Chinese Academy of International Trade and Economic Cooperation about the Hainan Expo and the overall global trade landscape. Hi, Dr. Zhou Mi. Thanks for dedicating your time to speaking with us. I know you are also participating this year's Hainan Expo and the scale of this year's Hainan Expo is said to be significantly larger than that of the previous year. What drew your attention to this year's Hainan Expo? So actually, this is my third time coming here to attend the Hainan Expo. So I think that from my observation, I noticed that many people are here and they are very happy to attend this expo. And that is not only those people from China, but also from many other countries. So I think that uh, it, it is a real, very important opportunity for us to observe what has happened after we changed the policy about the comment. So from my observation, I think that we should try to look at what are the consumptions has uh, provided more opportunities and what are the supplier sites are trying to get from this uh, expo. So the attention is, uh, you know, I have paid more attention on the organization forms and some of the innovation of the possibilities of the new things after we change the policy. Mm. So I think such kind of events also reflects China's willingness to share its massive market opportunities globally, which plays an important role in the process of economic globalization, right? What will this kind of economic globalization bring for China and the world? Yes, you are right that globalization is a kind of a very important trend that we have uh, undertaken for decades. Actually, in the recent years, we are facing many challenges on the globalization. Something are to do with the mechanism that we have designed in the past about how can we uh, distribute the benefit and cooperate with each other. Well, there are still many more challenges from some protagonism from some countries. So in this regard, I think it's uh, very important for us to reconsider what are the right things that we can do in the future. How can we bring all the people to benefit them with uh, the cooperation in the trade and investment? So from the consumption end, we believe that consumption is uh, one of the most important in the, in the roles of uh, pushing forward the economic development because uh, consumption is uh, coming from the consumers, which is distributed worldwide, and they are very sustainable if we can achieve the mechanism to give them more support on the development. So the globalization are requiring us to consider about what we can do after 
the changes? Can we adapt to the new situation? Or we can start from where, like from the bilateral or regional cooperation to a more wider areas and what we can do to do with the e-commerce and other things. So the globalization is a kind of phenomenon we cannot deny. And I, I think that we have to adapt ourselves better for the situation and try to be uh, you know, more uh, sustainable and uh, to, to help all the people, not only part of the people in the world to have a better life. Right, right. And we know that this year also marks the fifth anniversary of the construction of the Hainan Free Trade Port. It shows China's attitude towards economic globalization. So what do you think future development of the free trade port will bring us, given our positive attitude towards economic globalization? Actually, that we know the free trade port is a kind of new things in China. Maybe Hainan is the, mm. the only one now we have seen. So actually, we do not know too much about what are the right way or the right path that we should try to follow for reach our goal as a free trade port. If you're looking around in the world, there are many uh, these examples like Singapore, like those the ports uh, in, in Holland, but they are different because China is such a big economy. We have to uh, contribute for the development, not only to have more concerns or focus on the island itself. So what we are trying to do with the free trade port is trying to make it a very important area for us to reach a better opening up policy in China and trying to accumulate more experiences that we can do better in the future, like for many other areas. So as for that, I, I think that uh, the globalization has changed a lot of uh, patterns for the people to interact with each other. And the free trade port will create our very big and integrated areas for the different uh, garments branches and uh, the markets like the business and the consumers to better interact with each other. So in this regard, we are not only trying to provide only the environment, but trying to create some better environment to include the technology to, to give more support for the innovation. So that is really a good trial. And I don't think that we have accomplished our goal because we have at least 15 years plans for the development of the free trade port. So you may know that uh, we have many things have to do at the uh, end of uh, the year after next. Uh, so we will have to do a lot of things to adapt to the situation, the policies framework. And well, the more important is we have to, to try to improve the people's understanding about the free trade port. And we, we need to have better allocation of the resources and welcome the enterprises from all around the world. Mm. And we know that many RCEP member countries, specifically 10 RCEP member countries, excluding China, are participating in this year's expo. So how has China's participation in RCEP impacted China's economy and the global trade landscape? Yes, China is a very active uh, member in negotiating RCEP. So we have uh, contributed a lot in the past uh, eight or nine years. So when we have achieved our goal to establish such a big, the world's biggest free trade agreement in the world, we are already have done a lot of things. So for RCEP, we have many things to do, like for the mechanism, we have reduced our tariffs and we have opened our market. But how can we change these rules into practice? It's more important. 
So we can see that uh, in this expo, many RCEP countries, they came here, they have much better feeling about the market of China and they knew what they can do to be involved in Chinese development of the market. And they also got many information or you know the, the attention or uh, some kind of uh, uh, interest from Chinese participants who want to do business in their own countries. So by the two ways cooperation, I believe that uh, all these related stakeholders should try to think about what the agreement can bring us, not only in the short term, but also for a longer term for better and stable expectations in the market, which is quite crucial because we know that global supply chains is under the reconstruction process. So we need to give more support for the enterprises. They, they have better confidence and they can achieve their goals in the cooperation by the better ways, not only trying to get some benefits from others, but by the cooperation. So do you expect to see um, Chinese business becoming more globalized, especially after the three-year pandemic? Yes, we can find that after you know the end of last year's policy change, many Chinese companies have already gone to other countries to trying to find out opportunities. Although some of the reports say that they are trying to grasp out opportunities or get some orders from others, but in my attitude, I would also like to see that it is an even better attempt to try to redefine the connections with the, the foreign markets. So actually that many Chinese enterprises want to think about the, the ways of doing business in the global angle, not only from its own perspective. So they want to learn what other companies want to have, what other consumers in other markets really want to have, and what other technology that we can have to support the innovation like for the e-commerce. Well, at the same time, they also want to do more to interact with the government, trying to have a better mechanism on the governance, trying to help them to cooperate, to allocate and use the resources more efficiently. Thank you very much, Dr. Zhongmi. Thank you for your time. Okay, thank you. That's Yu Shun speaking with Dr. Zhou Mi, Senior Research Fellow with Chinese Academy of International Trade and Economic Cooperation. So what's the biggest takeaway for you after listening to that Q&A session when the word globalization comes up a lot and there's an interesting dynamic that we see right now between regional trade and global trade? So Li Yi, take it away. Well, I think this doctor has mentioned several times that business need more opportunities to reach out to consumers and meantime consumers, they also have their own special needs, especially in the ever-changing market, I mean, after the pandemic. So I think this Hainan Expo exactly offers such a platform for the two sides to really reach out to each other. And meantime, I'm also expressed by, you know, those great changes which have taken place in Hainan during the past few years. I mean, maybe years uh, ago, uh, Hainan is more known as a popular tourist destination. And then in 2020, China released a plan to really build the whole of Hainan Island into a global influential and high-level free trade port by the middle of the century. Mm. And since then, I think a series of uh, policies have been issued and, and implemented to support the development of this Hainan free trade port, including like zero tariffs and also uh, easing market and foreign investment access. And I mean, you know, those new policies in duty-free shopping actually 
has made consumers more willing to spend more money in Hainan in the past few years. So I think that uh, somehow shows like uh, consumers' consumption needs is upgrading. In the meantime, those business operators are also trying to follow up, trying to follow those upgrading uh, demands from consumers. So I think it's really good to have this platform. And uh, that's why we see in this year's Hainan Expo, high quality has become a keyword. Uh, for those business operators because there is an upgrading consumer demands from the consumers. Aside from all of those points and the ones that I previously mentioned as well, um, I think that expos and this expo in particular plays an important role uh, in cultural exchange and understanding, actually, in a more general sense. I think that they offer a serious opportunity for people from different countries and cultures to literally come together and um, not only promote economic growth and development, which I guess is the, the main purpose of this expo, but um, it, it also provides an opportunity for mutual understanding through innovation, because many of these products, they transcend language and often they're all working towards a similar goal. And so I think that this expo is significant uh, because of that as, as well. And I think that given that the pandemic has limited travel so much, I think this is a really exciting time for Hainan and China as well, because it must be the first significant international expo for uh, foreign companies and uh, businesses and business persons to come and actually attend, right? So yeah. I think it's particularly significant because of that as well. Uh, I, I do think that expos, the few that I've been to, they are quite overwhelming. And um, I found that, to be honest, the reality of being at one is quite different to all of the things we've spoken about. Um, and I don't know if we've got time to speak about that right now, but I do find personally that I'm just quite overwhelmed by them when I've been to them. Is it that they're just too big and there are so many things on display? What's so overwhelming to yeah. you about it? Yeah. Uh, I also, we must remember that it's only businesses that are, can actually afford to be there that are actually there. So, you know, a lot of startups and companies and innovations that maybe are very exciting aren't actually able to attend so well the exhibition area this year of the expo has reached 120,000 square meters which is an increase of 20 percent even from last year's event and then if you step foot in one of these um, expo halls or arenas i often feel it'd be nice to be able to cycle around a little bit because um, there's just a lot to see and a lot of space and many chinese companies look forward to introducing their products to the global consumer base at the hainan expo uh, figures say that we're seeing at least fifty thousand global buyers who would be uh, visiting the expo and you shouldn't reports back under the theme of this year's expo, Share Open Opportunities, Co-Create a Better Life, many Chinese companies are using the event as a platform to showcase their products and services to a global audience. In the aftermath of the pandemic, they expect to encounter both opportunities and challenges in the global markets. The pandemic over the past few years has had a significant disruption to the consumer market. However, we can see a big difference this year, as companies are optimistic about the future prospects for economic recovery and growth. Zhang Wenyu is Chief Strategy Officer of iFlyTech, a technology company specializing in voice recognition. 
The excitement is everywhere at the expo here. We can tell from the numbers that our overall sales volume has seen some fantastic changes. iFlyTech has seen significant sales growth in the first quarter. The sales of the translation products increased by more than 240% compared to last year. It's a clear sign that the recovery of overall consumption is underway, and we are confident that it will continue throughout the year. While there are certainly challenges to doing business overseas such as cultural barriers and brand positioning, companies remain optimistic that with the proper strategies and partnerships, they can be successful. PopMart is one of the largest blind box brands in China. Vice President Chen Xiaoyun speaks highly of the benefits that the Hainan Expo offers to businesses. It provides a platform that not only allows overseas companies to enter the Chinese market, but also enables Chinese companies to go global. Globalization has laid a good foundation for businesses through many technological platforms, such as global payments, global e-commerce, and global logistics. It's been five years since PopMart began developing overseas markets in 2018. In 2022, we opened 43 stores in more than 25 countries, including New Zealand, the US, Australia, and the UK. The companies are optimistic and have expressed confidence that Chinese enterprises have a promising future in the global market. With the world gradually recovering from the pandemic and economies reopening, they're looking forward to capitalizing on the numerous opportunities available for international trade and cooperation. That's Yu Shun. He spoke with representatives of two Chinese companies to explore the impact of economic globalization on their businesses. So it's really interesting to see how international companies as well as domestic companies are taking this platform as a springboard in a way to uh, further their business. And it's important to have these kind of platforms these days, especially like Josh mentioned earlier on after the pandemic to actually physically be in the same venue and talk business, I think that shows commitment. Li Yi, what else has grabbed your attention at this year's Hainan Expo? Well, I learned that this year's Hainan Expo is becoming greener compared with uh, previous uh, expos uh, in the last two years. I mean, the construction of the Hainan Expo uh, venue is uh, greener and more fashionable and more technology driven. And we can also tell that from the uh, booths set in those venues. And uh, it's said that those booths are really made by eco-friendly materials when they are trying to build their pavilions and uh, trying to set a stage for product display inside the Hanan Expo venue. And meantime, there will be more events uh, being held uh, during this year's Hanan Expo. You know, besides those regular exhibitions, there are also a series of forums for visitors and business operators to really have deeper communication. Uh, for example, there's global consumption innovation and duty-free and a travel retail conference and there's also coffee forum there's the sustainable consumption forum in meantime there's also an international fashion week and being held during this year's Hanan Expo and uh, during that fashion week there will be more than 40 brands displaying their nearly 1,000 of the latest fashion pieces during this event. And particularly this fashion week is being held from April 10th to May 10th for a 
a whole month uh, for those business operators to display their products. So these are all some something new for this year's uh, Hainan Expo. And I think um, business operators, exhibitors, and also regular visitors could really find their favorite exhibitions or business to talk about. Did you say that there was a coffee forum? Yeah. Yes, indeed. Yeah, that sounds kind of interesting. <laughs> yeah, and it's... I'm, I'm really interested in this coffee forum. That I, I wonder how, what would, the, the content of that, um, is it like a discussion about where coffee comes from? And it interests me because I know that coffee has started to become more popular in China over recent. I wonder if this forum would have existed at the Hainan Expo um, pre-pandemic or not. Oh, that is interesting because the coffee culture has really taken off not only in Shanghai, but also in other parts of China. And the coffee theme has been featured in the Italian booth area. Also, Italy is the designated guest of honor country at this expo. If you're interested in coffee and fashion and so many other of these consumer goods, Hainan is the place to be. Haiko, to be more specific. Coming up during the second half of the show, Roundtable's Heart to Heart segment. Stick around, everybody. The strong wind was howling and whistling. He was the first Chinese citizen to graduate from Yale University in the mid-19th century. I was born on the 17th of November. She had prominent features. Three of us were old enough to lend a helping hand. He navigated between two vastly different cultures and moved further to realize his dream and promote understanding between the people of China and the United States. Ye Minxing was a native of Hamyang. I realized no danger. China is really awakening. Come and join us in discovering the incredible journey of Yong Wang in his autobiography, My Life in China and America. Check out the Audible stories on radio.cgtn.com and all major podcast platforms. Just search for the podcast Books and Beyond and find My Life in China and America. Discussion keeps the world turning. This is Roundtable. You're listening to Roundtable with myself, He Yang. I'm joined by Li Yi in the studio and Josh Cotterell on the line. Coming up, we turn it over to you. Your question or comment, our discussion on this or that perplexing topic in business, work, life, or entertainment in Roundtable's Heart to Heart segment. Send us your audio question or email to ezfmroundtable at foxmail.com. And you've probably heard of the aphorism, do what you love and you'll never work another day in life. Will finding a career that you're wildly passionate about make your entire life feel like a big tropical vacation? If not, young people at least take up a side hustle that they truly enjoy. We take a look at the latest of the slasher generation. Our podcast listeners can find us at Roundtable China on Apple Podcast. When you're there and you're so inclined, please give us a five-star review. It will help other folks find the show. Now let's have a moment of heart to heart. You ask. We answer. Roundtable. Heart to heart. This week we have Yan living in Shenzhen asking us a question. 
Hello, Roundtable team. I'm Yan from Shenzhen. It's great to talk to you guys. I sent out an email because I have a problem towards my middle life crisis. As we all know, quite a lot of big companies is laying off due to the bad economy. So here's my story. One year ago, the company found a new department to divide the new business, but now caused by different reasons the headquarters store the business and all the other related person were laid off or shifted back to traditional business besides me as one man band manager I don't know what next step the company has and as my leader is in a headache recently so I don't have a chance to talk with him my problem is should I keep staying until the company lay me off which I don't know when or not or should I leave to find a new job? But I'm like almost 35 without married, so I don't think that will be a good chance for me also. So what's your thinking on this? Thank you. Wow, thank you so much, Yen, for that very candid uh, share of your story as well as asking of a, a question. And Josh, what do you have to say to our lovely listener? Well, thank you for calling in. And I think that dilemma that you have is quite complicated. And I think it's quite difficult for me, honestly, to give any strong advice, given that I don't know the details of your situation. But it sounds as though you're at a point in your life where you're considering serious change. And uh, when you use this term midlife crisis, um, which is usually, at least in English language, we consider this to be somewhere between 40 and 60. So I'm not sure if you're quite there yet. But either way, um, I think that uh, one common belief about this point in people's lives is that it is a natural time of inner turmoil where you have to think about your mortality, what you're going to do, and all of these big, big questions, right? So um, I appreciate how difficult this must be for you. Uh, I, I would say that uh, there are several things that you have to consider here. And I guess one of the biggest ones is career growth. And I don't know too many details about your company or how happy you are there, but I imagine that maybe you've been there for some time. And so you've considered that place to be somewhere where you've been able to grow your career. If not, then there's your answer already. But if so, then I think that actually changing jobs um, could be an opportunity for you to actually grow your career if you've already established yourself in terms of experience and you're, you're probably quite valuable as an employee. And so I think that, that that's something that you should consider as well. Um, there's many other factors as well here, but that's my small piece of advice given the little information that I have. Right. Good luck. If 40 is indeed the new 30, then perhaps at 35, some people are in the midst of a premature, let's call it midlife hiccup. The digital age moves so rapidly and the midlife crisis might be no exception. It might feel like it's sneaking up on you. And I think there's also something I don't know if it's unique to China, but it's certainly very much talked about in China. That is, 35 is an age when, especially for women, I feel, it's become sensitive in the workplace and especially in the tech world, the job prospects for somebody who's a little bit older. And here in Chi the Chinese context, it's 35. How young is that, really? But uh, people fear about job security. And I totally understand the sort of shaky feeling that Yan 
is mentioning here. But also,、um, don't leave your job until you've been asked to, because we need the severance pay package. Don't let that just go out at the window. Lee, what do you have to say to our lovely listener? Yeah, you know, I can really relate to her、uh, when she mentions that she feel really anxious and.、Uh, Really uncertain when she witnessed a lot of major changes happening around her in that workplace. I feel that that is a quite natural feeling and emotion. However, I still, you know, hold different、uh, opinions about the thirty-five thing. You know, she mentioned that she feels like being thirty-five without really getting married could just hinder her from getting. Employed in the greater job market, I don't really agree with that. I know that in reality, you know, some HR, some companies would just set that age for certain threshold、uh, in terms of hiring people. But I think you yourself should not really hold that limitation when you are trying to seek new opportunities or thinking about a career progression or career path, because you have to break that glass ceiling by yourself at first, and then you can look for some other new opportunities. I mean, that's the first step you really need to do. And for me, I don't really think. Being thirty-five without getting married is a problem or is a barrier. Maybe in some HR's eyes, that can be a strong proof of your dedication to your hard work, and that can be your bonus point when you are trying to look for a new job. And meantime, I think it's really important to treat every so-called different or important moment in workplace. Very cautiously, because I know, like staying for one company, especially sticking for one position for a few years, can be really struggling, and you start to even doubt yourself about your future path. But I think it, you can always do something, like even talk to your supervisor, talk to your boss, and and to see if there are like different opportunities being there for you, or you can just ask yourself. Are you still looking for like personal progression, and does this company offers you that path towards that personal progression? And I think these are all some questions that that can help you to make decisions. But in the end, I think it's really important to follow your heart. Yes, oh, that's nice.、Um, I would like to put on the skates as well as a crash helmet before jumping into the unknown. Is that? Kind of self-contradictory in a way, but、um, if we're talking about our livelihoods, then I think it's worth the consideration. So why not just look around for new opportunities while staying on this job? I know it sounds like a lot of work, but、uh, get your Rolodex out. Nobody does that anymore. Okay, fire up your contact list and ask around and see what possible job openings or、uh, possibilities are out there. And I also think that sometimes maybe a browse through job openings don't really help us very much because opportunities don't always just out of the blue presents itself. But I think keeping In touch with your industry, and having the ability to sort of see the prospects, and I know it's difficult, but really understand what you're doing and see where this can take you. I think being able to sort of get the gist of that might help for 
however you want the next step to be. And I think for any working person looking into the future and wanting to find growth in ourselves as well as opportunities is what we all look for regardless of age, especially if you've accumulated some experience under your belt already. So seriously, good luck, Yen, and um, let us know how you're doing. And 35, if you look at from a larger picture, is so young. And there are there's got to be many legs of the journey in the future. And it's up to us to grab the opportunity and walk the walk, which is the difficult part. But um, good luck and we wish you all the best. If you like what you hear, then send us your audio question or voice memo to EZFMAroundtable at foxmail.com. Coming up next... Fitness fanatics are becoming gym instructors, but only part-time. How do you feel about making your hobby part-time work? Stay tuned. Looking for passion? How about fiery debate? Want to hear about current events in China from different perspectives? Then tune in to Roundtable, where East meets West, and understanding is the goal. It's the Hour of Roundtable with myself, He Yang. I'm joined by Li Yi in the studio and Josh Cotterell on the line. A quote often attributed to Confucius runs as this, Knowing a thing is not as good as liking it, while enjoying it ranks the best. The saying points out to a truth that interest is the best teacher. How about you get so good that you become a coach in that field? Now in China, many frequent gym goers are becoming part-time fitness trainers, while several sports technology companies and gym brands are seeking more part-time trainers working flexible hours as the demand and awareness of fitness and health continues to grow in this country. So tell us a bit more about this new phenomenon in the gym or workplace, however you call it, Li Yi. Yeah, obviously those fitness club chains are starting to hire more part-time trainers to offer those training sessions to its members and uh, also those dream lovers or dream rats they start to discover that they are so interested in fitness sector that they are starting to take up this part-time group trainer as their part-time profession for example there's a woman named han lu she just uh, turned 40 and she's just one of many people who regularly attend gyms in this country and their passion for exercise has led them to become part-time fitness trainers you know, during the day, Han works as a professor at Shandong University of Finance and Economics and specializing in sustainable urban development. And then she started going to the gym and working with a private trainer in 2013, regularly as a way of letting off steam after work. You know, Han first started exercising with sessions of body combat. That is a high energy workout inspired by martial arts. As her experience grew, she is so interested in this sector that she become a part-time group trainer. So that is just one example of how gym rats are turning their passion into side businesses. And particularly, I think we've seen a lot of fitness KOLs on social media platforms, and many of them are actually gym lovers, and they are starting to share their 
quote unquote professional experience to fans and、uh, green hands in fitness sectors. So this leads to the question of: Are those trainers professional enough to offer their experience? And especially when it comes to part-time trainers in the fitness clubs, and people are questioning their professionalism. I think that. It makes a lot of sense as a side hustle. Obviously, it's not that easy to become a fitness instructor, and I think it might be quite interesting to discuss about how you can become a qualified fitness instructor. Because I know、uh, I've, I've read up on how to do this in the United Kingdom after preparing for this, and it's quite interesting. I wonder if it's the same in China.、Um, we can maybe discuss that afterwards. But、um, yeah, I, I think it's quite an interesting trend, and generally, it just seems. Perfect, right? And I and I guess a lot of people listening to this, or maybe even probably, I don't know if you two are thinking this, but I'm sort of thinking maybe I should do this. You know, it'd be a perfect <laughs> way to、um, combine my、uh, getting fit and getting into really good shape, and also having a side hustle, making some money. But of course, the reality of it, the elephant in the room, is that it's very difficult to get in that good a shape. And if you put that much effort into anything in life. Probably you can make some sort of side hustle from it. I mean, it just so happens that the fitness industry is pretty lucrative in this regard. Right, and when you look at these fitness trainers in discussion here,、um, not all of them are bodybuilders because bodybuilding is. Very difficult, and if I may say, it's very obvious. It's like you're the walking billboard of your advertisement. Because if you can't do it yourself really well, and you know, taking the shirt off, or you don't do that even with the t-shirt on, you can tell. But a lot of these fitness trainers we're talking about here, they are giving the classes of. Body jam, body combat, and these are sometimes like group dancing sessions as such, and so it doesn't really require you to wear that armor of muscles, so to speak. So, in a way, some are saying that the entry threshold isn't all that difficult. And one thing all these people share is there is this love for fitness and. Uh, listening to loud music and training, and of course health and all these big themes that a lot of young people are very tuned in these days. But I think qualification is a very good question to raise here. That is, in theory, you should be fully equipped and qualified, and therefore you step in and become a coach. But it's not always the case. And recently, we've even seen reports circulating online about some people getting injured. At these fitness classes, and that just doesn't paint a very good picture. Doesn't sell very well. Of these, may I say, are they professional or amateur coaches? What do you say? Yeah, I think fitness trainer is a very special profession, especially in the part-time profession sector, because it's not only the work. On your own, you are teaching something to other people, and a lot of times, you know, those things happen in fitness clubs that they can matter to the health and the safety of those trainees. So that's why people are questioning their professionalism of those part-time trainers. But on the other hand, I think we can't really deny that there are some professional part-time trainers. They are. 
like so interested in sharpening their teaching skills and also their fitness skills in the sector that they are even more professional than those so-called full-time fitness trainers. I mean, there are different types of trainers after all. But I think, yeah, when it comes to fitness, we people really need to be cautious, especially for those fitness clubs. I mean, when they are hiring those part-time fitness trainers, are they doing their scrutiny work in a good way, trying to provide very strict uh, scrutiny work for their members. That's very important. And in the meantime, I think uh, fitness is just one sector. I think there are far more different sectors when uh, where we're seeing a lot of part-time participants being in there uh, and uh, trying to turn their passion into side hustle. Yeah, I think that's just a, a very interesting phenomenon. And I think maybe like a more demanding working culture has led to this because people are becoming more multi-skilled than before. So that's why people can really turn some of their interests or some of their skills into a different profession. Yeah, to become a fitness trainer in China, you need to get the qualifications and there are some certified organizations who give these uh, certifications and then in theory the person needs to go through quite rigorous training as well as exams to prove yourself that you're good enough so that's usually the way how to qualify as a fitness trainer in this country josh you mentioned just now that you've checked out how to do it in the uk and is it a similar kind of process uh in to some degree, but actually becoming a personal trainer in the UK to get certified uh, requires a certain level of education. Um, and I'm not sure if in China, if it's exactly the same. And of course, I imagine that the certifications are quite different and it can really depend on the employer. So it depends where you're doing these things. And of course, some people, depending on the weather, they could just run a fitness a uh, training class in the park, right? Or something like this <laughs> yeah. and take money from it. And I I guess that I, I don't know who's checking these qualifications, but I guess if you have the confidence to to lead a class, I guess it's legal to do so, to, depending on what you've got people doing anyway. But if you're going to become a certified trainer, then you need that certification. And in the UK, um, it requires trainers generally to have what's called a three, uh, three level three diploma in fitness. Uh, instruction and personal training. This includes practical and theoretical exams, which test knowledge of anatomy, physiology, and exercise programming. I'm not really sure what any of those things entail, but but there you go. Um, and they can be pretty lengthy and costly as well. So is it the same? I'm not sure. I could go on. I found a lot of detail about this and, it's, and already I realized that I cannot do it myself. <laughs> yeah, but... It does sound like a lot of work. And I think it should be that way in the sense when you're handling, not always, but sometimes very heavy dumbbells and other quite intricate machines in the gym, then I would like the instructor to know what he or she is doing, especially if we're talking about paying money for it, right? So it's important to have these certifications as well as um, some kind of supervision. I mean, even if it just means that the companies need to be more hands-on and checking the qualifications before they include these coaches or trainers to their program or 
however you call it. And the promising industry reality right now is people are interested in getting fit, and especially after the pandemic, there's this growing awareness of we want to be fit, we want good health, and that means getting off the couch, getting away from your computer, and even if that means one hour after work, then people. Are engaged in this kind of activity, and this is also why a lot of these platforms, these fitness clubs, online or offline, they're recruiting because they need coaches and trainers to lead these classes. And what do you see as the potential setbacks, or also the future for these part-time trainers? Well, you know, when I do research online about this、uh, quote-unquote part-time trainers or slash careers or side hustles, I find that you know people are saying this can be very helpful in terms of building work-life balance or work-life satisfaction. Before we think achieving work-life balance is about leaving even enough time to rest. I mean, put down your work, your regular day job, and then to. Either to go outside or get close to nature or do whatever things you love,、uh, but not work, and that's sort of work-life balance. However, you know, according to an author who gives a speech in TED Talk, he says that work-life balance has little to do with time spent in areas, but more about how you allocate your passion in different areas. I mean, that can be intellectual, that can be emotional, spiritual, and physical. It's about How you balance your passion in different sectors, and people are saying that by adopting a side hustle or a side business, and people can really achieve better work-life satisfaction. Because we have to admit that for office workers, sometimes we can feel unfulfilled in our own areas sometimes, and for those people who have their On passion in different sectors, and they manage to turn that sector into a profession. Somehow, they can feel energized when doing those part-time jobs. So that is one pro aspect of、uh, having this part-time profession. But me personally, I think you know, for any kind of profession, either it's full-time or part-time, it's workplace anyway. You have to devote. Equivalent time, energy, and all those works into that sector if you want to do it well. So I think it's really about how you allocate your time in a smart way, and also how you save your energy during daytime because you have to do some extra work after all-day work, right? So it, it can be complicated, I think. I think that it is quite complicated, and I think something that is particularly complicated about this part-time gig, it's probably quite. I don't know how much longevity there is to it, especially with something like fitness.、Um, I imagine that in order to do something like this as a part-time gig, of course, it seems all well and good, and it seems very healthy. But you physically have to be there, and I think that a lot of part-time gigs that I see that are available are things that people can often do from home. They're things that people can do on their computer,、um, and even something. That previously would require one to be physically in a building or an area, like tutoring or teaching. Now, most of that is done online as well. So, I think that that's probably the only issue with something like this is that I don't know how much longevity that would have for a person,、um, and also just the physical 
requirement that it would have to to stay in such good shape all yeah. of the time. And I imagine that that's part of it. Yeah, and that reminds me of what apparently a lot of current coaches and fitness trainers have as the worst fear for their occupation that is longevity that or the lack of in the sense that people kind of expect your gym instructor to be youthful energetic upbeat and in great shape and how long can a person maintain all of that and there is a little bit of a question mark there so do you guys think that how come why don't these part-time folks just make it their main job is it because becoming a full-time gym instructor maybe is not all that lucrative as an occupation or job security might be another issue so let's just keep it side hustle what do you think yeah, I think being fitness trainers can really have different salaries in different cities. I think in big cities, it can be lucrative. And uh, you have to be in CBD area, I think. So it's really uncertain. In the meantime, I really think if you turn your passion, your hobby into a full time profession, that can just sort of exhaust your passion in the end, because that somehow becomes your daytime regular work. And that could just make you feel like, oh, I don't really like this thing anymore. So maybe that's why people tend to like keep their passion in a side hustle sector. Mm. Well, do what you love and you'll never work another day in life apparently is not what Li Yi agrees with. <laughs> not completely. Josh, do you have a quick response to that? I personally think that that statement is a good way to live your life. And I, I know that it should not be taken so literally and that many people can maybe sometimes be doing what they love. But I do think it is value to valuable to at least pursue what you love. And that doesn't mean that you're going to be doing everything you love and be getting paid a great wage for it all of the time. But I think that it is important to pursue your interests and your passions, because I think that's probably your best chance at finding a job or finding work that you find fulfilling. Great. Thank you very much, Josh. Working is hard. Living is hard. Unless you're employed as a professional puppy snuggler, then I don't want to hear any complaints. So... That's all from us on Roundtable today. Thank you so much, Li Yi and Josh Cotterell, for joining the discussion. I'm He Young. We'll see you next time.